Welcome to Every Horror Movie on Netflix, the show where we watch and review and discuss every horror movie on Netflix. Back again this week, it's me, Chris, here with Patrick. Hello. And Steven. Hello, gentlemen. And how are y'all doing? It's It's been a little bit since we uh, chilled out and, you know, kind of talked about what's been going on in our own personal uh, horror adventures. Uh, anything exciting been happening lately? I haven't necessarily watched a lot of horror lately. I have been enjoying uh, Doom Patrol, which uh, has certainly some horror-ish elements to it, and I'd recommend folks check that out if you like weird superhero-y sci-fi horror shit. Um, And also, you know, I finally finished watching What We Do in the Shadows. I do realize that I've talked about this show for like three or four episodes in a row now, and it's a 10-episode show with... 30 minute episodes so theoretically it's something that i should have watched like two quarantines ago but took me forever was very rewarding would once again recommend that show great shit i was gonna bring that up because we talked about how you'd finished it and i thought well we've already talked about it on the show but goddamn, we need to plug the shit out of this show our listeners would love it like i hate to say it's like the best show on tv because i don't watch much tv but it's so enjoyable in that finale patrick come on like how explosive and amazing is that it was fun you know i did not we're not going to get too deep into it because spoilers but i did not respond to the finale as much as you did i fully saw it coming but i still enjoyed it sell me on this damn show you guys you guys have been talking inside baseball about what we do on the shadows for weeks now i don't know a goddamn thing about it why should i watch what we do in the shadows so it's based on so it's based on a movie by Taika Waititi, who directed Thor Ragnarok and Jojo Rabbit, one of the most amazing creators working right now, I would say. Um, he is, uh, I think, a producer and occasionally writes and directs episodes of the show. But the basic concept is it's a mockumentary about uh, four modern-day vampires who live on Staten Island. And essentially, it's all just comedy of idiocy. Like, they're all just pompous, vain assholes and it's hilarious all the actors are just fucking spot on and it's a delight i've been actually thinking actively about how to sell it to you and to your particular taste because i will say i didn't really like the movie what we do in the shadows i didn't find it all that funny um or you know it was mildly charming and i thought it was super bizarre that they'd made a tv series out of it but i just kept hearing people i really respect say amazing things about it and it's it's the kind of thing that like i don't know how to describe the brand of humor that it employs cuz like it's a little bit the office but i'm famously known for not liking the us office and yet i still that's the closest comparison i can come to and yet i can say i love it it does play a lot with um sort of classic horror folklore vampires and werewolves and stuff but it's 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 just it's done in a very refreshing way well maybe i can give it a try then and that's on that's a fx series right and it's on hulu yep and the episodes are short you know it's like 20 to 22 minutes you're in you're out it's a laugh a minute like i really don't think you'll regret it i i found myself like after having all these questions about why in the world would you make a tv series out of this uh, I just settled in and, and enjoyed the ride from like the first two minutes of the first episode. 
Yeah, I weirdly was not a huge fan of the What We Do in the Shadows movie either. I didn't react strongly to it when I saw it, but it has been a while and the show has definitely made me want to go back and revisit the movie and see how it sits with me a second time around. Have you done any horror shit lately, Chris? Yeah, as I told you guys via text message after I saw it, I watched Yummy, the Shudder original movie. It's a... Damn, it's it's a it's a European film. I want to say it's Danish. I could be wrong about that. Um, about uh, basically, it's a zombie movie set in a like a plastic surgery hospital. Uh, it's been getting a lot of promotion on Shutter. It just came out. I watched it, and you know, you know, I'm not a big fan of the zombie movie. And this movie doesn't bring a lot of new material to the zombie premise i was a little underwhelmed by it uh but it's fun there's some fun sequences and scenes it subverts your expectations a couple of times if you love zombies as a genre check it out otherwise you could probably sleep on it some the uh shutter put out a tweet saying that it was like the saw franchise and an a24 film had a baby uh i could not disagree more i was gonna say that's like catnip for you that was catnip for me. That's one of the things that made me watch the movie. Well, they win because I watched the movie and, you know, whatever. It was fine. I didn't hate it. It was a cue it, you know? Yeah. it. I mean, that tweet definitely had me. I was like, Saw plus A24, curious, but not so curious now that I've heard your review. The other thing I've been doing lately is uh, kind of rereading some of the old uh, classic scary stories to tell in the dark. Mm-hmm. And and other, I'm looking for other short horror stories. I've been digging into my uh, a book that I bought at a park in West Virginia called The Telltale Lilac Bush and Other West Virginia Ghost Tales. Um, you know, when you're on vacation and you see a book like that at the like the gift shop, you got to pick it up. Yeah. Um, great, great stories, and they're categorized uh, into categories such as jealous rivals, wives who return, ghostly children, murdered kinsmen. Omens of death, hidden money, murdered peddlers. <laughs> we got we got mine ghosts. We got railroad ghosts, animals and birds, weird creatures, and finally immigrant ghosts. Great little you know short stories. And I was looking into there's a fan project where someone tried to re uh, kind of make their own home brewed scary stories to tell in the dark book a few years ago. And I was looking at that online. They did a pretty damn good job of emulating the artwork. Um, and I don't know. I'm not going to buy it, I don't think. But it was an interesting project. Um, we need another Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark book. And I was looking up Stephen uh, Gamble, who did the illustrations for the original three books, who was actually a, a, a really renowned children's illustrator who did most of his work for like innocent children's books and he's got to be kind of old and it doesn't look like he's put out anything since like 2013 but i'm hoping he's still active and i'm hoping we could commission him to you know draw some spooky shit again oh yeah you can't be charging that much money you could kickstart that how much could it possibly be Twenty thousand bucks i don't know i don't even need the stories i just need those illustrations like the stories like i don't know that they would do anything for me as an adult but man like his style is so iconic i still get creeped out when i see some of that shit in my feed we could just describe the premises of the movies we're watching on netflix and see how he interprets them yes oh love that you know but after that scary stories to tell in the dark movie i bet he'd ask a pretty high price for it they probably fucked him on that because what they did is they lifted the design of the creatures right off his drawings and 
I don't know. I have some I have some thoughts about the scary stories to tell in the dark movie. I did not like it. <laughs> I didn't see it. I don't think I'm going to see it. But um, what what are your thoughts? Well, what they did in that movie, and I might have talked about this previously on the show, closer to when the movie came out, is they basically literally translated the drawings into monsters. Mm-hmm. And the illustrations in the book, right, are kind of like they're abstract visions kind of based on the mood of the stories more so than they are like tangible creatures. It's hard to imagine them being played by a person in a suit, no matter how weird the suit looks, right? Yeah. So like they, they took some things where it's like, oh, here's a spooky looking woman in the book and she's not really a spooky woman in the context of the story it's just like that's the you know she doesn't literally look like that that's just the mood you're supposed to feel and they just made it kind of a movie monster oh um and they did that you know that was kind of their approach they kind of just took away the like existential terror that was in the stories and just kind of literally translated the the illustrations and they probably didn't pay Stephen gamble so I saw the movie without having ever read the book, actually, and I enjoyed the spooky creatures. I enjoyed the spooky woman that Chris is talking about. What I didn't enjoy as much was I thought it was going to be an anthology type of movie, but it was actually just, I don't know, there was a bunch of very, like, sort of wannabe, like, knockoff Stephen King, it kind of, like, kids running around in the 70s being worried about Vietnam and whatever to, like, tie the fragments of different spooky stories together which was sort of disappointing to me maybe just because i really really love anthology movies and i wanted that's what i wanted out of it yeah i don't know what the right way to translate that those books to screen is but i don't think there's a reason to do it at all i mean those books are just so singular in their art their artistic vision and the power they hold over the reader like let's let's just let them be as they are and and keep introducing a new generation of kids to them they're timeless why fuck it up with a movie and why fuck it up with uh trying to hire steven gamble to do more illustrations i i think you just proved my premise uh the the, the fallacy of what i just said <laughs> no i don't think so at all that i would love to see i would love to see him continue illustrating stuff i just don't want to i'm not interested in seeing his illustrations uh, like adapted for a film i want them to yeah. be illustrations because there's something uncanny and creepy about them that uh that I, yeah i just can't imagine being translated into real life uh but that's scary stories to tell in the dark that movie came out what over a year ago <laughs> yeah a while ago <laughs> so are we gonna go down to the spoiler room and discuss uh, all the spoilers from scary stories to tell in the dark now <laughs> Uh, one final note before we jump into the real shit. Um, we got a really lovely shout out actually from a fellow horror podcast uh, in the past week or so. The It Slays podcast named us one of their favorite horror podcasts and uh, gave them a listen the other day and really enjoyed their stuff. It's uh, a group of three Canadian friends um, who look at horror from a queer perspective. I'm not sure um, based on the episode I listened to, but I think or assume that the three of them are somewhere on the LGBTQ spectrum and really enjoyed their podcast. So go check them out. And thanks to It Slays Podcast for the love. We love you back. That was super cool. I've enjoyed their show as well. I'm friends with a couple of them on Facebook now and, and look forward to interacting. And like, who knows? Maybe we could do a crossover at some point. That would be dope. I wish we were Canadian. We would be so much more interesting Ugh. if we were Canadian. Seriously. Anyways, what the fuck did we watch this week? Well, depending on when you downloaded the last episode, uh, you might have heard that we were going to watch The Ring, which was my original pick 
last episode, but uh, the, the timing was messed up. Apparently, the ring went off of Netflix at the end of June, so in between the last episode and this episode, it, it disappeared, so it was impossible for us to watch for the show, and it was impossible for you guys to listen to, so instead, I switched the film. So this week, we're doing Don't Knock Twice. Oh, shit, there it is. Take a shot. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll get into that. Um... But yeah, Don't Knock Twice, I just had seen it in the catalog for a while and was intrigued and I wanted to know. I'm always intrigued by titles that say, that tell you to do something or not to do something, you know? We've, and we've had several of them on this show already. Don't Kill It. Don't Kill It. Don't don't Be Afraid of the Dark. Be Afraid. Be Afraid, yeah. So yeah, this uh, Don't Knock Twice, it's an IFC Midnight film, which surprised me, and it's been a while since we got one of those, and you know, those always used to interest me. I always feel like, you know, it's not quite A24, but it's, <laughs> it's, uh, it's a cut above, you know, kind of some of the stuff we see, or it's at least a little more interesting sometimes. Is it? Is it really? <laughs> Ugh, they're really not. They never are. It just says IFC, and so you think it's going to be better. But Every once in a while, you get like an autopsy of Jane Doe, or you get an anti-birth, but it's mostly garbage. Right? Or a dark song. Or Yeah, I guess that was IFC Midnight. So yeah, Don't Knock Twice. Uh, this movie is, a, is about a troubled youth and her troubled mother, who I guess gave her daughter up to some sort of foster care system or, or state-run youth home system. I'm not sure what they have in the UK. It's a movie from the UK. Because she was a drug addict and she didn't feel like she could take care of her child. The child gets into hijinks with her friends in the in the home, as kids tend to do. They go to a dead woman's abandoned house and knock twice on her cursed ass door knocker thing which apparently summons a ghost but it's just a fun you know it's a fun way to spook yourself it's like saying bloody mary right or Candyman. yeah it's in the very same vein yeah you tempt the ghost and of course the ghost uh shows up chaos ensues the the our young heroine uh ends up moving in with her estranged mother and so the two are kind of trying to navigate their relationship and they're also trying to avoid the curse that they have uh, unlocked unwittingly or actually wittingly they, they did it very deliberately they just didn't know it was real wow that was an, a very succinct description and there's a lot to unpack in how that all unfolded <laughs> because it there's a lot I could have mentioned about 12 different plot threads yeah I mean I will say like one thing I really um i don't want to say i enjoyed maybe i'm tipping my hand too much by by even saying that but one thing i did enjoy is that like as arbitrary as the urban legend is and the witch seems to be in relation to the mother-daughter relationship in this film they get that shit out of the way fast it happens at like lightning speed explaining the legend explaining the legend the knocking on the door the daughter going to her you know former or her former drug addict you know biological mother's house like that all happens in like 20 minutes and that's a lot of story to get through i could see that alone being like two-thirds of a film yeah well i mean i think one of the things it does well is it i mean and i saw actually some reviews have criticized it for being derivative but it leans on tropes that we're familiar with right like we we don't need a ton of explanation about like yeah they go to the old house and they knock twice on the door so there's gonna be a haunting you know yeah but the uh, 
there's like no suspense though. It's just like, okay, we get the opening scene where like the mother's trying, they're in arbitration. She's welcoming the daughter back to, back to her daughter says, no daughter goes out with her boyfriend, in the foster home. There's just chilling. And then they just randomly decide like apropos of nothing to go to this creepy, you know, witch's house that happens to be right across the street. They don't even question it. They just knock on the, you know, there's, there's nothing really all that spooky or intriguing about it. It just, it just happens. But they had been there before. Like, that's why it wasn't so scary to them, because they had been there before, repeatedly. But it wasn't uh, it wasn't scary to me, either, the way it was handled. I don't mm. know. It just it, Yeah, it's, it's handled very matter-of-fact, I think, is what he said. Which I feel like the filmmakers were like, okay, well, audiences are tired of this kind of stuff, so we're just going to breeze past it. But then again, that's like the whole crux of your movie. So if you're just going to show me that and not make me feel anything, like, why are we here? What are we doing? <laughs> well, I don't know. It was the inciting incident. I don't know if it's really the meat of the movie. Although, I think this movie is a little bit confused or maybe not confused but it's just um you know throwing everything and the kitchen sink at you throughout the runtime and it feels like a very long movie it's only an hour and a half but it felt like it was like two hours plus for me um it did just because there's so many threads going on so many shifts in focus so many uh there's even like something that I could have sworn was the climax and ending of the film, but no, there's still 45 minutes left. (laughs) Yes. Wait, are you talking about, I mean, this isn't really spoiler territory. Are you talking about like the moment where they take all the doors off the hinges? Yes. Yes. I had the same (laughs) feeling. I was like, Oh, okay. So it's like, Oh, I've got a plan. And there's going to be like the badass confrontation where you all, all of a sudden do something like super out of left field that throws the adversary off. And I was like, Oh, okay. We're in the end game now, but no, like literally, yeah, only 45 minutes through the movie. Oh yeah. That's like, that's like in Polaroid when they get down to the, um, down into the, the dark room, you know, you're like, all right, it's gotta be the end. Cause they're going to, they're going to kill the, the Polaroid creature in the in the dark room. You know, it's, it's how it must be. It's like, oh, the movie's called Don't Knock Twice. There's no more doors to knock on. So we're just about done, right? And then there's <laughs> like half the movie left to go. But I'll tell you what, I got on this movie's level, and I think it started. So, you know, you guys know I drink seltzer water all the time, right? I'm like cigarette smoking man when it comes to <laughs> seltzer water. Uh, I'm know. like cigarette smoking man when it comes to cigarettes. So that's kind of funny. You're LaCroix drinking man. Yeah, if you go into someone's, like, office and you see there's, like, you know, six empty seltzer LaCroix cans sitting on the desk, you know I was there right before you walked in. (laughs) Um, But anyway, uh, so I, you know, as I typically do when I start these movies, I go to the fridge, I I pull a seltzer from the pack, and I sit down, and then, like, I actually, like, went to the bathroom first, I was walking around, just as I sit down to sell into this movie, the cans in the carton shifted, and they literally knocked twice from inside the refrigerator, (laughs) and I said, that's a sign. So I put my headphones on, I turned off all the lights, and I just let this movie come to me, and... Also, I watched it super late last night, and I think the movie kind of has like a dreamy feel to it that just makes it good for just settling into and focusing on late at night. Uh, Not everything makes sense, but uh, if you get on its level, I think uh, you can have a good time with it. That's There's something to be said for that, Chris, because there are certainly movies that I enjoyed like deep in the dark of night. They don't have terribly clear screenplays, but like that tends to produce a kind of accidental dreamlike logic that if I'm in a certain state, I can really get into. So I I could see having that experience with this movie for sure. Man, there's so many things in this movie that just makes so little sense to me. Okay, so let me just hit on one (laughs) crucial 
plot, I guess, crucial plot point. So our our protagonist is a sculptor, and she like sculpts custom statues of people the way that like people have their portraits painted. So she has this subject who keeps returning with her infant to be sculpted in our protagonist's studio. And I mean, I'm sh- is that what was going on? Yeah, she was making a sculpture of them. Did you miss that? Oh, I thought I thought she was just like a student or something. I didn't think she was a student, but I didn't realize the sculptures were custom. And I was wondering, like, what that sculpture was supposed to say about our our um, uh, what is her name, Jess? I wondered, like, what yeah. that was supposed to say yeah. about her psyche and her character's development that she was doing this like Virgin Mary and Jesus esque sculpture and like ripping the baby's face out of it at one point because she wasn't satisfied with how it was turning out. Like, I thought there was a lot of, like, intentional symbolism there. But if she's doing that for hire, that makes me feel very differently about it. I mean, okay, so, all right, maybe Tira was there just as Jess's model. I guess that's definitely a possibility. Maybe I misread it. Well, that's what, um, yeah, I mean, that's what, I, I see this on Wikipedia now. I, it didn't occur to me. I thought that she was, like, just a assistant or a student or something. It never occurred to me that she would be a client or a model, but 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 that makes sense, I guess. I'll, I'll accept it. Well, anyway, she was go on. De- we'll continue. Well, she was definitely modeling for the statue. I mean, she's there with her infant, like, standing and sort of posing and is sort of surprised when Jess tells her they're, like, done for the day and then Tira starts to move around again. So she's definitely posing oh, for yeah. it. I don't know if it's, you know, just as a, a model or an assistant or if it's as a client, but I, it, it's less strange if it's as a model or assistant, but I don't know. I, I still found it sort of odd and funny. I feel like we derailed you, Patrick, and you were going somewhere else yeah. with that. No, honestly, that was it. I mean, I, we, I, I guess we can also go along with <laughs> Tira. Tira is just such a strange character to begin with. She, and I mean, oh, it's it's almost dif- it's difficult to describe without going to the spoiler room. But she has a sort of vaguely European accent and just is the one who immediately knows shit about witches with no explanation for why she knows all this shit about the Baba Yaga and and literally everything that's happening. She's just a walking, you know, exposition machine with, with literally zero explanation of why other than her accent, where I guess we're just supposed to assume, Oh, she's foreign. So she knows how Baba Yaga and the witches work. You know, this is, I found this, you know, I don't know what her, what her um her you know native country is supposed to be where she comes from but like i felt like she was just a stock gypsy stereotype and it mm, kind yeah. of bothered me i mean she, her character doesn't really have any layers beneath that yeah um yeah absolutely yeah I, I, I found that frankly kind of offensive and lazy um it was a little bit lazy yeah um i, I did like though that this movie does involve the baba yaga mm-hmm. it's not we're super spoilers to get into that um i don't know if everyone knows what the baba yaga is but it's like you know a eastern european witch um uh, known best for having a house with chicken legs, and i was a little disappointed that we don't see a house with chicken legs in this film that would have been dope <laughs> but it's always good to have a little Baba Yaga representation in your horror catalog. Um, I was thrilled so about that as well. I got a kick out of that. And I don't think it's spoilers because I think this, I saw a movie poster for this movie uh, called Baba Yaga. So I think maybe this was released in some markets as Baba Yaga. That hmm. that makes perfect sense. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure in like Eastern Europe, that's how they marketed it. Um, and it probably did very well there with that title. Probably. 
I want to back up to something like way earlier on in the movie, just because I, I this is a burning question I have for you guys, because this movie like triggered some childhood memories for me. You know, the movie's called Don't Knock Twice, and there's a little bit of like play in the film with like the with knocking on doors. And so when Chloe and her boyfriend, before they go and, you know, do the double knock on the on the Bobby Yaga's house, they see a, a bunch of kids outside the foster home playing a game that I used to call as a kid Ding Dong Ditch, where you get a bunch of yeah. friends together, you just go and like knock on some random person's door and run away and, you know, delight in them screaming at you as as you vanish into the shadows. Did you guys ever do that when you were kids? Fuck no. No. You know me. I, I was, was a good yeah, kid. with little goody two shoes. Oh, I mean, but like kids, these kids are like seven. Like every seven-year-old is like totally amoral. I don't know. I did that constantly. It was my favorite thing with my neighbors and I did it when like my younger relatives came over for Thanksgiving dinner and we'd get bored with the adults. We'd just go out and knock on random doors and hide wow. in the bushes and, and giggle as, as, you know, somebody. Steven, do you know where I lived when I was seven? I lived on a dirt road with cornfields on all four <laughs> sides of the house. The nearest neighbor was a quarter mile away. <laughs> there was there was no knocking and running. You'd have to run a quarter mile, and you can't run a quarter mile faster than a bullet. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. Well, anyway, I'm sorry that you two were d- deprived of this, uh, what I found to be a very foundational experience in my life. No. But this is, I think, the first time I've ever seen that represented in a movie. It's a little tiny throwaway moment, but I appreciated it, and also it was like, I kind of giggled to myself, because they found a way to, you know, to tie something like that in with the, the whole, you know, don't knock twice sort of deal anyway well speaking of knocking twice you should watch this movie and drink every time someone knocks twice or don't it's up to you it's up to your own substance abuse habits um weirdly i was not super like clued into the double knocks i don't know just for some reason the sound cue just went in one ear and out the other with me i like needed a visual of them like knocking on a door and the few times that, like, the witch, ghost, Baba Yaga, whatever the fuck it is, knocks on the door before appearing, I honestly somehow just didn't even register that it had happened many times. And wow. I, I think I was also just kind of puzzled by the rules of it because, like, you knock twice to to summon the witch or, or Baba Yaga or, or whatever. But then also Baba Yaga knocks twice before she shows up. That bothered me. And I didn't understand it either. So I will say the rules are slightly more complicated than what you described, Patrick. At least the the initiation, the rules of the initiation. So you knock twice to raise her from her bed, and then you knock twice to raise her from the dead. But I didn't you know... You knock once to raise her from her bed. You knock twice to raise her from the oh, bed. Oh, that's what it is? Well, anyway, so yeah. like, there's that, but there's nothing... I didn't really understand why she's knocking afterward. Like, you've raised her. Why does she need permission to enter. She's not a vampire. It's, She's a Bobby. It's just a callback. She's not asking for permission. It's just ominous. It's her it's her calling card. It's her branding. We're gonna have okay. to call in our expert on Baba Yaga law here. <laughs> I counted I, I my by my count, and I may have missed some. Uh, I think that some th- someone or something knocks twice in this movie twenty times in what? the space of ninety three so minutes. That's forty yeah. knocks. That's forty knocks. I am stunned. I would, if you had told me to guess, I would have guessed five to eight. Nope there's at, there's at least twenty. I think 
You know what, Patrick? I think I'm with you. I was thinking no more than 10. Right. And I think this is like the indicator of, for whatever reason, again, this is so bizarre, but the degree to which that sound cue, which I guess is supposed to be a, a harbinger of doom and, and an ominous moment in the movie, how much it just went in one ear out the other with me. So, I mean, literally, don't knock twice if you want to get my attention. Basically, the, the, the basic emotional story of this movie, uh, how'd you guys feel about that? I mean, the, the, the emotional uh, crux of the film is this story about this mom who fucked up in her past, sent her kid off to, you know, boarding school or whatever, and uh, is trying to make amends with her under the, under the shadow of the Baba Yaga's curse, which I feel like they were trying to go... I feel like there's a metaphor there where the Baba Yaga and the way the Baba Yaga uses people and, and the way that the Baba Yaga and the and Jess, the mother, are kind of fighting over the soul of of the kid. I feel like it's kind of about the duality of, of Jess and I don't know. Chris, I hear you. I had a similar thought while watching the movie a couple of times. The fact is, these characters, I, I did enjoy some moments of interaction between uh, Jess and Chloe. There were a couple of tenor moments where I thought, okay, I can, you know, this movie began in a pretty jarring way. I don't understand why Chloe, you know, her friend dies and she immediately goes back to her mom who she, you know, has only just seen for the first time in seven years or whatever to live with her. Like, that's a little bizarre of a leap for her. But I did feel like I started to kind of settle into the groove and, you know, they were learning a bit about each other. And I I started to feel some, like, more sort of thematic underpinnings coming forward when, when the film managed to miraculously connect the Baba Yaga mythology with the two of them. There just wasn't really enough there. Like, I don't even know if if that was if it was intentional on the filmmaker's part for us to feel that way. It just felt so underdeveloped. And, like, these two elements were just, like, oil and water throughout the whole movie to me. Here's my thing with the, I guess, emotional plot of this movie actors do a fine job katie sackhoff in particular um who we haven't mentioned but she plays jess does an excellent job and is putting in honestly so much more work than this movie really calls for she's good the girl who plays the daughter is good the daughter is played by lucy boynton of bohemian rhapsody fans yes Yes, acting all fine. I just had difficulty investing in this relationship for two different reasons. I have two two things to say about this. One, like the daughter is arguably a piece of shit because she kept knocking on this old woman's door until the old woman killed herself. And I just had difficulty sympathizing with that. I was like, why am I why should I care about you? You don't know that until pretty late in the movie though. That's right? brought up quite early in the movie. Mm, I think it's about halfway through the movie because at the midpoint of the movie, a detective gets involved, and you know oh, the kind of focus shifts Jesus. a bit. Well, we whatever that too. Like, <laughs> I mean, so it, it withholds details long enough where I'm like, okay, trying to learn my way around this character, and I haven't really formed a full uh, opinion of how I feel about her until I get to oh, she pranked an old lady until the old lady flipped out and killed herself. That's shitty. So I had a hard time caring about her. But that might not actually be what happened. Uh, we can't really talk about that too much without going to the spoiler. That's room, true. But. but I mean, at that part, at that point, I lose. I I learned that information about her, and I lose sympathy for her in that moment. 
but she was orphaned by and again i'm saying this as if as if the movie like reminds you of this when that information is revealed and it doesn't but like where i was at is like all right she was orphaned by her drug addict mom and put in a foster home so like yeah she's gonna be a little bit messed up she's dealing with other messed up kids who whose parents were probably normal and good parents but the kids were fucked up you know so like she's 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 living with a bunch of rebels and out, outcasts and misfits like so she's gonna do maybe a more extreme degree of what normal teenagers already do but then the mom is like her motives are completely mystifying to me as well like i just didn't know who to sympathize with or when during this whole thing yes that was gonna be my second thing that i was gonna say is that i also had a hard time with just because uh, again, information is revealed in, I would say, a fairly natural way a lot of the time in this movie, other than when Tira just, you know, vomits up the entire story of the Baba Yaga immediately. But uh, it takes so long to figure out what Jess exactly did, why she turned her daughter over to this home. And it's really difficult to get your arms around how you're supposed to feel about her, at least for me. So, you know, when you talk about the emotional elements of the movie, I just, it took me so long to lock into what was actually going on and try and figure out who I should care about and why. It's, yeah, it's, this is not a Noah Baumbach movie, you know, like it, it, I feel like it, it aspires to kind of toe the line you know, with these like complicated, conflicted characters, and and it it tries to like dole out information about them slowly throughout the film in a way that's supposed to challenge our assumptions about them, but it's not done in a very graceful way at all. I don't know. I can't really intellectually argue about this, but I did find myself drawn into their stories and the characters and the situations. I actually found myself on the verge of tears at one point. Wow. And, what? Chris, how, and, wait, how many seltzers did you have? <laughs> <laughs> I know it, it may have just been, you know, being three o'clock AM or whatever, but, um, I thought the performances were strong enough. And, and then I, you know, I kind of understood, I, I felt like I understood Jess. Chloe is a little bit more, uh, nebulous for the whole movie but uh, i was drawn in and i was i i I liked it it worked for me i'm glad it worked for you should we review it before uh, we go to the spoiler room so we can talk about shit that needs to be talked about in a little more detail we do always review the movie before we go to the spoiler room so yes we should all right well who would like to go first fuck it i'll go first don't knock twice don't knock once don't knock at all this is a total screw it for me this movie is just you know, there's a couple of moments in it that I liked. I thought the final shot was metal as fuck, but it's just it's it's a very confused movie. I, like I never really understood how to feel about any of the characters. Like I admired that it moved very quickly at sometimes, but also found myself frustrated that it moved very slowly in other areas where it didn't need to. Like Chris said earlier on, like this is a lean like 93 minute movie that felt like it was at, you know two hours and ten minutes or something to me. I was never really scared. Some of the jump scares got to me, but that's what they do. Uh, but I didn't feel any lingering dread. And I wound up, by the end of it, just being completely baffled by uh, what are supposed to be thrilling twists and turns in the third act. So, yeah, screw it. Patrick? Uh, it's a screw it for me, too. I don't know. It's not with any great prejudice or animosity, necessarily. It's just... Uh, 
kind of haphazardly put together movie that I at times had difficulty following. I think, uh, you know, again, credit to some of the actors. They did a solid job. It looks decent, um, but mm, yeah, pretty in one ear, out the other for me, just like all those knocks. Um, and boy, we're going to get into it in the spoiler room, but there, yeah, it's just some wild and mystifying shit in the final act, uh, twists upon twists, like, uh, Ooh boy. So yeah. In conclusion, if you're thinking of knocking twice, don't Chris. Ha <laughs> Um, you know what? I may be too generous here, but let me blow your mind. I'm going to give this a view it. Oh my God. I, I saw you go in there, Chris. I'm not surprised I, at all. Yeah. Wow. Um, and is it a, is it a great film? No, it has a lot of problems, but I, something about the scope of this film really charmed me. It, it kind of reminded me of like insidious or the conjuring and that those movies kind of tend to like, just throw every haunted house spook they can at you. They want to be like every kind of scare in one movie. This seemed like it wanted to be like every kind of movie in one movie. <laughs> um, and I kind of, sometimes that just doesn't work, but for whatever reason, I found myself just getting on board and going for the ride and following along with the twists and turns. And I, I you know, I, was it great? No, but I was never bored. And there was some stuff that I thought was fun. Creature stuff. I thought was fun. Emotional stuff. I thought was fun. And I think you get a lot of bang for your, for your 93 minutes here. A lot of, you know, I was trying to make a, a, a pun about banging on the door, but it's not going to happen. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I say view it. I mean, don't expect a whole lot from it, but I think there's something in here that most people would be able to enjoy, but maybe not because you guys both said screw it. So what do I know? But I'm going to give it a view. It. I just have to register. I feel almost offended by this rating because I had such a dull lackluster experience with this movie that it's almost upsetting to me to think of the prospect of either myself watching it again or recommending it to anyone else and and now i i you know i said that i wasn't screwing it with prejudice but now it sort of sounds like i am but wow i'm floored by this rating so good job i guess you said you're offended by chris's rating you know i stick with how I tend to approach or tr- at least aspire to approach most of these movies. I'm, I'm a little jealous of Chris's rating. I wish I had had that much of a good time with it. Yeah. So good for you, Chris. Yeah. I, but I would say, you know, you got to immerse yourself, you know, watch it at night. You can be a little sleepy. It's okay. And you might get on its level. If you can't get on its level, then you might hate it. Like these guys, uh, I th- felt like I got it on its level. I liked it. And again, there's just so much variety, you know, you want jump scares? There'll be jump scares. You want two good actresses pouring their hearts out to each other? You get that. You want like some like police corruption drama? You want a fucking jail cell escape? You want some fucking like you know a a, a stock stereotype gypsy character chewing the scenery about the Baba Yaga? You want people spreading out like illustrations of the Baba Yaga they printed off the internet all over a pool table trying to put the pieces together <laughs> yeah. you want like you want like a like a, a eight-year-old mystery of a murdered child and people solving that you want fucking like yeah it's just great it's got everything well before Fuck we go it. to the spoiler room I'll just say spoiler I don't ever want any of those things <laughs> So take my review with a grain of salt. And I feel like with so many other movies, though, we would criticize that and say it's trying to be 
every kind of movie at once, which which is sort of one. I mean, it is one of my criticisms of this movie. Yeah, something gelled for me, though, with it. Like, it just, I, I can't explain it. You know what? It's just how it made me feel. Yeah, that's fair. I, 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 I join Stephen in envying you your experience. And also, it good might job. Be because, it, and like you, like you said, it looks good. Like, yeah, it is well shot. It's it's technically very well done. Um, maybe that you know helps you through it. Um, it feels like the filmmakers know kind of what they're doing throughout. Um, I don't know. I can only speak for myself. Hey, well, it's time to go down to the spoiler room, but that means that it's also time for me to again give my little spiel where I tell you to go to everyhorrormovie on netflix.com, hit that merch store link, order our sweet shirts and other merch so that you can show your friends how much you love our show. Hit us up on your social media uh, platforms, whatever one you like to use. You know, I think there's the Facebook, there's the Twitter, there's the Instagram. We're on all of them. We're at Amoncast, E-H-M-O-N cast, wherever you want to follow us. And also remember to subscribe, review, uh, you know, do all those things that uh, you do with podcasts, right? Subscribe, review. That's what you do, right, guys? They say it helps. Yeah, they say it helps. And, you know, I, at the very least, it's a little ego boost for us. Because we c- clearly, clearly need one. Well, we're going to go down and uh, knock twice on that spoiler room door and go down and uh, spoil everything in just a few seconds. So if you want to go watch Don't Knock Twice on Your Own, best to do that now. Otherwise, stay tuned and we're going to tell you how it ends. Welcome back. We are down here in the spoiler room, getting ready to spoil everything. Uh, be be well, be careful of that uh, two by four with the two nails sticking out of oh, it, yeah. going to your foot in one of this film's more uh, grisly sequences. That's beside the point, though. Um, so, what the hell happens in this movie? I was just thinking, as much as I did enjoy the movie and felt like I was on its level, yeah, the plot is pretty inscrutable, especially towards the end. Well, it's it, it feels like it's just, I don't know, reflecting on it, I told you guys before we recorded that I didn't feel like I could really talk about what happened in the last half of this movie because it just felt like a dream to me. And I think that's just because it becomes a series of twists for the sake of twists on top of twists. And it almost yeah. doesn't even matter if you can follow it. Yeah, and again, it just kind of is carried along by this like dream logic sort of narrative where we're just kind of coming in and out of storylines and in and out of different realities, it even seems, and it's kind of hard to follow. But I'll do my best to try to give you the broad strokes here. Please, so, do the heavy lifting for us. So we've got, you know, Chloe the daughter and Jess the mother. They're being menaced by, you know, ominous shit and the specter of this gangly witch-like ghost that's breaking into their house, whatever. There's a big confrontation with the ghost. They take all the doors off of their house and what you think is going to be the ending of the film. We're not even close. Uh, we got a detective character who shows up. He dumps the exposition about how the house that they knocked down at the beginning of the film uh, was owned by an old woman who was a suspect in a child murder or a child disappearance. I don't know if they found the body. 
Did they find the body? It was unclear. Who knows? Unclear. Uh, who knows? But a uh, but a a beautiful little like twelve year old boy or some shit on the soccer team uh, went missing, and the kids in the in the area thought that the old lady was a witch and kidnapped him, and so they knocked on her door until she went mad and killed herself, and now it's her ghost back for revenge. Except that's not actually what happened. We then are led to believe that actually the detective who was the kid's soccer coach killed the kid right. and that he actually bullied the the old witch lady into either confessing or just bullied her past the point of sanity in a, in a tough interrogation to where she killed herself. But then it turns out that's a red herring, too. Then it turns out that's a red herring, too. And ultimately, that whole narrative was was put into our hero, Jess, the mother's mind, by her model, Tira, the gypsy stereotype character, who apparently isn't just you know eastern european with a whole bunch of knowledge of the baba yaga she's actually a slave to the baba yaga and apparently the way you can pass the curse on to someone else is by tricking them into doing something horrible to an innocent person and i guess what we what happens is jess is convinced the detective is evil so when they go to the baba yaga's like uh, purgatory hell world where the ghosts of all the I don't even fucking know it's very surreal and abstract uh, mm-hmm. she damns the detective to the an eternity getting fucked up by the Baba Yaga and that is her curse and at the end of the film she realizes that now she is going to be the slave to the Baba Yaga's will um, that's the best I can do <laughs> great, great summary doing God's work I understood more of it than I realized because it is just like a tidal wave of twists and and sort of like passing the blame and, and kind of shifting the history of the urban legend. It's frankly, it's it's mystifying and kind of exhausting. It's ludicrous. It's ludicrous. And I kept thinking of Hereditary during the second half of this movie. It, it clearly has aspirations to be a really kind of interesting and incisive domestic drama like hereditary where like that that is first seems to be first and foremost and yet there are sort of clues dropped throughout the movie early on that when you look back on it it's clear that like fate has a larger or like the the dark dark magic has a larger role to play i mean uh, jess is given a talisman very early on in the film by her model and it turns out that that has like you know some relative significance that she's been kind of marked from the very beginning of the film um this movie just like couldn't decide whether or not it wanted to be sort of like procedural twisty trash or like an actually meaningful drama about the mother and daughter reconnecting after all of the abuse that both of them have suffered in their lives because of the mother's terrible actions and the daughter's subsequent terrible actions that were a reaction to the trauma that she inherited from being abandoned by her mother. That stuff was way more interesting to me, and it turns out it doesn't pay off at all. Right. It doesn't pay off. I mean, I, I wanted, I wanted it to though. Like, I was invested in that. They're great actresses. I was interested in that. There are a few moments of like, uh, of kind of tender, tenderness between the mother and daughter. But then we just get wrapped into this loop of, of nonsense about allegiance to the Baba Yaga and who the Baba Yaga is and like what she actually did and who's responsible for her 
suicide. This, um, it's exhausting. <laughs> this is what I'm talking about exactly. When I was talking before about the incoherent emotional undercurrents is weirdly there is potential here you know it's like totally as, as we've talked about the performances are solid and there's kind of more than gestures towards some interesting character work in the writing where it's like okay we're we're, we're almost somewhere that works and that resonates but it never all quite pieces together and it was very frustrating to me Honestly, this movie should have ended at the point where we all thought it was going to end, where there's a big special effects, I guess a scare, because it doesn't really amount to anything else, but it's, it feels like a climax with the Baba Yaga in the house, and I think that immediately follows or immediately precedes Chloe and Jess like kind of reconciling with each other and just saying, you know, mm-hmm. I've always loved you, blah, 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 tears are had on both sides, beautiful moment, and then Jess like really starts fighting for Chloe, starts saving Chloe's life, Chloe almost gets like fucking vacuumed into out the front front door of the house by witch magic but chloe (laughs) saves her then they take all the doors uh off the house together mother and daughter bonding experiment they have a a cleansing fire of the doors they're standing outside together just end the movie there we keep coming back to that moment i think we've mentioned it like four times at this point that like we thought that that was the climax and that's kind of a running thread in the movies that i tend to give a screw it to in this journey through every horror movie on netflix which is i mean i can the simplest way to describe it is movies where i think it's almost over and i look and i'm excited that it's almost over and then i look and there are 45 fucking minutes left that's never a good sign yeah i mean that whole taking the doors off the hinges has the feel of you know kind of traditional exploitation movie vibe where it's like we're going to be ready for the motherfucker this time and then there's like a montage of you know sawing the barrels off of shotguns and shit um, and then it turns into this very dramatic, and I mean, it's a nice shot. It's a nice shot, but it's a, you know, very dramatic moment of them burning the doors. And I, I don't know if it was just me, but I was like amused internally. I just thought it was a silly moment. It was super silly. I wasn't expecting it to be like, you know, Kevin McAllister shit happening. I was just like, all right, well, knocking is a motif. The thing coming out of doors is a motif. I guess they figure it's all connected and they're just going to take the doors off the house. And maybe that kind of mirrors in the metaphorical sense what they're doing with each other. Because there's the scene where Chloe arrives at the house and she wants to leave the door open to the mother's room. It's like the Irishman. Um, (laughs) And. I, I haven't seen The Irishman yet. Oh, yeah. Well, there's an open door motif in The Irishman. And then basically the same thing happens here. And so it's like, okay, so there's a barrier between mother and daughter. The barrier has now been removed. And to extend that metaphor, we're, we're going to use the, the doors of the house as a metaphor. And we're going to burn them all right now. And that's beautiful. And, and so <laughs> at that point, basically the whole emotional story has been told. The Baba Yaga story has been fulfilled as well as I need it to be fulfilled but then it's like and then what happened well then they went to the police station and then she almost lost custody of the girl again and then she thought the detective maybe was a pedophile and then she got arrested and then she got to the interrogation room and then the police officer she told him he was a killer and then she took her blood and she wrote it on the wall and then she went to the creepy house it's like a little kid telling you a story 
<laughs> right. And then, and then she goes to the police station, and then she, and then, and then the witch came back, and then. You know what sucks about all this too is I found the detective very charming, and I liked that he, you know, because Chloe, at least from what I remember from this this hallucinatory experience of watching this crazy fucking movie, um, the detective like. You know, he'd met Chloe before because, you know, she's caused some trouble or whatever. And, like, I kind of liked that we had this, you know, she she had she had a protector come in and, like, and kind of kind of check on her and, like, following up on the murder of her boyfriend and everything. And I thought he seemed like a solid guy. And I really, like, found it despicable that this movie treated him as completely disposable by using him as a red herring and killing him and making us mistrust him. For a good stretch of the of the second half of this film, I don't give a fuck about the detective. I'm glad that you're looking out for his well being, but I did not care. I mean, I cared as much as I could care about anything in this movie. I'm saying this with a grain of salt, <laughs> but I but I found that I don't, I don't know. Like I I don't like movies that set up uh, that set us up to distrust uh, a good person just to kill them. To deliver us, I don't know, to send us on a twisty journey to deliver us more information. It just felt I mean, the police lives matter is what I think you're saying. Blue lives matter, yeah. (laughs) Man, okay, can we talk about Tira? So, like, I I expressed frustration earlier in the episode about how, you know, Tira mysteriously knows everything about Baba Yaga. So, I mean, obviously, it all makes sense in the context of the twist that she knows everything about the Baba Yaga. You know, there is eventually a reason revealed for that but it's it doesn't make it any better in the early going of the movie that she just drops this information with no explanation and everyone accepts it with no explanation that she knows it well other than the political ramifications of having someone who's such like a gypsy stereotype character in the movie which i thought was distracting i like that and i i kind of like horror movies especially like the more serious they are when they have a character who's just kind of a an archetypical horror movie character and i liked that like she is just kind of an unassuming character you're like why is she here and then there's like a scene where like chloe comes in the room and she just takes a look at her and it's like no i gotta go (laughs) i mean i don't like this at all i mean that even the term gypsy i said it to begin with with trepidation because it is a very offensive term and the character the way that i mean this character's function in the screenplay only reinforces that wait so why are we assuming she's that stereotype though i guess i accepted that early on when you all said it because she has an eastern european accent but what else about the character says that to you guys because she only she only exists to deliver exposition so that makes her a gypsy no no the stereotype is she's eastern european she's you know wearing like skirts and she's into jewelry and she gives you magical amulets and she knows all everything about the baba yaga and she's a mystic Hmm. and she's kind of you know she's a little bit she's a little bit olive skinned and like it just never felt like it it just felt so telegraphed to me it didn't feel like there was any depth this character they just were like oh yeah that's a trope in these movies that there's an eastern european woman who you know of course because of the way she looks and the kind of accent she has that she would know all of this stuff like she was never developed beyond that she only appears when information is needed to be delivered i mean it's kind of 
Um, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't feel the need to go any further with that. I just found it very distracting and really uh, just kind of unnecessary, frankly. I, I'm kind of splitting hairs because I agree about her being just kind of a stereotypical Eastern European character and wasn't big on the character in general. Just I, I wasn't reading Gypsy, quote unquote, into it necessarily. Well, yeah, it's. I mean, it's it's the accent. It's her. It's the fact that like, it's the movie just assumes that you understand when she starts talking about mystical shit, you know, because of, because of how she, uh, presents herself. Like it just, I mean, at the bottom line, it seems very lazy. And I, I have a question I want to ask you guys, which is, um, because this movie was such a hallucinatory, uh, AKA somnolent experience for me. Is it ever explained at one point, like how she became the slave of the Baba Yaga? Oh, no. no. Okay, well, good. And then I'm relieved. Dude, that makes me feel even more vindicated in my read on the uh, um, just the, the laziness of that character's portrayal. Yeah, I mean, anybody can become a slave to the Baba Yaga, apparently. So why it has to be a character with these stereotypical markers and this ethnicity is a mystery. And who's just kind of handing out, like, woo-woo jewelry left and right. And, yeah, it's just, I don't know. It really rubbed me the wrong way. I don't like it. Like, I can't believe that. I'm assuming this movie went through several drafts, like any movie. And it just seems so culturally insensitive to me to include to include that character and portray that character that way without providing any other any further depth i mean the jewelry is the same kind of thing where like yeah it seems kind of weird and potentially stereotypical in the moment that she gives it to her and then later in the film like obviously there's a reason that she gave it to her because she was trying to pass on the curse um but that doesn't really make it any better no not at all it's no it doesn't make it better Mm -mm. I mean, uh-uh. it's just a, it's just an outdated character. It's outdated representation. And I mean, if I were making the movie, I mean, I would I would fall back on like, oh, it's not, uh, you know, this woman. It's like someone else at the boarding school or something like a kid who is just like really into like cryptids. Well, let, let me go back to hereditary. I um, like I think this is a, a pretty direct Oh, yes. Uh, pretty, pretty yes. direct analog, you know. The, Love the, it. Love the point you're about to make. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, that movie, like, you know, it's it's a mess. And that's a movie that's trying to be, Chris said this earlier, like, as a, as a way of praising this film. And I understand what you mean, Chris, because Hereditary is trying to be every kind of horror movie at once. And we get kind of the ghost story with the weird mystic character who comes in who can talk to her dead son. And she's just like a Karen <laughs> like lives by herself and it's not what you would expect it's not the kind of character that you're used to it's not the kind of present um a representation you're used to seeing in a horror movie for a character who fulfills those responsibilities in the script exactly and and minor spoilers for hereditary i guess but um like if the the twist with her that she's actually like up to certainly no good is made more chilling by the fact that she comes off as just like a stock like you know she's just like a a pto mom who like yeah. would bring you cookies and shit whereas in this movie you have someone who's like just clearly uh like a stereotype of some eastern european mystic uh witch adjacent lady and she happens to be witch adjacent yeah, so I mean, I guess we, you know, I want to give this movie some credit. 
I, I especially I want to credit our interview with G.J. Camp for kind of calling us out on the way that we view some of these low-budget movies. You know, there are limitations, there's studio interference, whatever. I don't know what was going on in this movie, but um, I'm still not okay with with that particular character, especially because it doesn't really, I don't know, it doesn't really amount to anything much plot-wise. I do have, like, a, a, a searing image of my in my mind of the Baba Yaga, you know, like... a. I could be wrong, because again, I felt like I hallucinated the last 45 minutes of this. I literally fell asleep two minutes after it ended. But isn't there a shot at the end of the Baba Yaga, like, like stepping through, like, red light down the stairs, and then it just, like, cuts to black? We're coming through a door, I think. But yeah, yeah, you got the gist of it. Yeah, that was, like, that was, like, metal as fuck looking. Like, that shot... The Baba Yaga looks great and is is pretty terrifying in every shot that, that it's in. Uh, it's like a spider, sort of. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's a witch. Yeah, we I see images that. of it with its limbs kind of like, you know, sort of like the, you know, like a creature from, you know, John Carpenter's The Thing, where, like, legs are popping out, and you see, you know, joints and stuff emerging into the, onto the screen. Like, it's a, it's a really kind of amorphous-looking creature. I like that stuff. That was cool, and I like that the movie ended on that note because I think the only thing I can praise it for is the creature design. And uh, that character is actually portrayed by Javier Botet, yes. I think is how you pronounce his name, uh-huh. who is you know plays every creature in every movie. Uh, you know he's on uh, James Wan's Speed Dial, um, so that's cool. Yeah. Well, that's uh, that's don't knock twice, I guess. I don't think there's any uh, much else to say about. It. What else do we have to say? Nothing, nothing, nothing at all. That's it. Oh, beware one last the, beware thing. The Baba Yaga. Oh, Patrick's got something. Oh, there we go. Wait, does Everyone that mean Patrick? Shot. Patrick, I, I I missed the rules. Does that mean yes or no? Is one yes and two is no, or one wakes the dead, two makes the bed? I don't remember now. <laughs> all right, fair Fantastic. enough. Fantastic. Absolutely. Um, all right. Well, it's uh, time to figure out what the hell we're watching next week. I believe it's Patrick's turn to pick a film. Uh, so do you have a selection for us, Patrick? And Is it, it a good one? And it better it be an film. Oh, as always, my deliberation has gone down to the absolute wire. There's a list of like five movies that I whittled down to three. And you know what? My gut is just telling me a certain thing. You know, early on in this podcast, early, early on, we watched a classic film, 1920 London, Fear Strikes Again. And God damn it. Love it. The original installment in that series, 1920, is currently on Netflix. No. So we're going to watch 1920. We're going to watch 1920. Yes. Yep. I'm not expecting it to be close to the glory and the legend of 1920 London Fear Strikes Again. I mean, let's be real. That's the movie that gave us Jay. But uh, yeah, I'm really curious to see how this franchise that we derived so much entertainment from started. Is Do we know, is Jay in the precursor? He's not. Sadly, no. Well, hopefully there's a there's another sort of uh, dashing rogue exorcist magician, whatever the fuck he was, that we can fall in love with in this film. Hopefully. But 1920 is supposed to be pretty good, and I've been curious about it for a while. It's been on my list for a while, so I'm actually really excited to, to get this pick. Yeah, I mean, I think the critical consensus on 1920 was better than 1920 London Fear Strikes Again, but then the critical consensus on 1920 London Fear Strikes Again was very bad, so (laughs) make of that what you will. 
Awesome. Can't wait. Well, that'll be in two weeks. We'll be watching 1920. And I uh, hope you all join us then. I think that's it, though. So for every horror movie on Netflix, I'm Chris. I'm Patrick. I'm Steven. See you next time. Bye.